You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yep, uh, Sports Fix Thursday. Tommy's on the phone. I'm here in studio. Aaron is at home. We are all practicing uh, strong social distancing and mitigation. Um, And uh, it appears, you know, if you believe the experts, that all this stuff is working to a certain degree. There were a couple of of, uh, things, Tommy, um, in the news uh, today, uh, actually late last night. This from a Santa Clara County uh, executive. He's a doctor, medical executive in Santa Clara County, California. He said he doesn't expect any sports games until at least Thanksgiving. He said we'd be lucky to have them by Thanksgiving. Uh, The L.A. Times had that yesterday. Of course, the Niners play in Santa Clara, California. Um, You know, I don't – if he's asked about this or if he's just giving his expertise, how does he know? Like this thing, nobody knows. Think about what four weeks ago was and what four weeks you know later is. I don't know how anybody can really predict where this thing is going in terms of whether I'm, or not sports is going to be canceled for the year or no football season. I just think it's way too premature for that stuff. Well, I don't think he said it for, for the press. I think from what I read in the story, it was mentioned in a meeting. Right, uh, and he was probably his opinion was probably sought, or he probably spoke up in a meeting, and then somebody leaked it. But he's not the only died. one. He's not the only one. A lot of oh, people predict. That. You you think that we're not having any sports this year, right? Uh, well, I look. I I agree with you. Nobody knows anything. But let's think of what. Let's think of four weeks ago. Let's uh, so far in our predictions. Most of the people in their predictions from when this started were were way optimistic. And I think you should have learned from that and operate under the premise that uh, until proven otherwise, you need to be very conservative because optimistic was wrong in the beginning of this. And uh, so I think based on what we've learned in previous predictions, we should operate under the premise that uh, worst expectations and be pleasantly surprised uh, if they're not. That's the way I would operate. But I do agree with you that nobody knows anything at this point. Yeah, it's really hard um, to to predict that far out. I mean, we can barely predict what you know tomorrow will bring, let alone you know six, seven, eight months from now. You know the um, the models keep changing too. They become more optimistic here recently. You know, you had that one model from. The guy out in Washington, the IHEM or whatever model that initially was the one that was projecting a minimum of between 100 and 200,000 or 240,000 deaths, you know, that now that we're, you know, um, in sort of lockdown mode. Well, that's been reduced to sort of a 60,000 number by August. Um, It's still a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. And it's very, very sad. And. But, you know, the, these models keep changing, too. And, um, you know, we talked about this the other day. It, ultimately, a treatment, a therapeutic medical treatment for this thing is going to be what sort of gets us back to relative normalcy. You know, once people feel like, you know, if they get it, they're not going to die, 
yeah. Then, then people, then, then we can get back to some level of normalcy. And you know, I was watching a lot of stuff last night and reading a bunch of stuff late last night. You know, this hydroxychloroquine. You know, th- this has be- become very much a political, you know, medical football in so many ways, and it's pathetic to watch. You know, it's pathetic to see, in many ways, the president touting it. You know, rather than having his medical people give you you know, the real information. And at the same time on the left, it's, it's disgusting to watch them completely down, uh, downplay it as if it's snake oil because the president's touting it, you know, it's both sides. And the truth of the matter is if you read about it, you know, doctors right now, because it's already FDA approved, it's been long ago, FDA approved for malaria, doctors and patients have the ability to use it right now. And it is working in some cases, you know, the, um, this guy, and I forget his name, um, the doctor that appears, they have many of them on Fox, uh, on the Fox News Network, was on last night and he told the story about his father who's in his 90s and was basically on the verge of dying the other night and all of a sudden he, you know, took these, this hydroxychloroquine with the antibiotic and within a few hours, literally within a few hours, he was upright. And alive and better. And then I understand there's some danger, you know, associated with this drug as well. I'm getting sidetracked here. My main point is whether it's this drug or another drug, once we get treatment, once there is a way to, to, to prescribe meds that keep most people from dying if they contract this virus, it's going to be a whole new day. In, you know, not just in this country, but around the world. And then we can start to get back to thinking about sports. But until there is that, you know, and that's more important than a vaccine right now, Tommy. Um, until you have that, I don't know practically how you do get back to large gathering events, you know, large gathering events. I don't know how you do that. I agree 100%. Basically, people have to feel that their risk is not a fatal risk. Right. By, by, by returning to normal. And, you know, it's interesting, even with the flu, we've come to live with an acceptable risk. I mean, most people we know who get the flu don't die, but people do die right. who get the flu, you know? So, uh, so we need to get to a level, and this is far more frightening, and it's going to take a while for people to get over the mentality of this being so frightening. Uh, so, but you're right. Uh, until people feel that if they get this, they can get treated and come out on the other end. No, I, I mean, nobody's going to take that risk until that happens. You know, you mentioned well, some will, but most won't. You know, you mentioned the flu. I mean, look, I mean, everybody has a different perspective. My view of the flu is okay. If I get it, I get it, you know, and then I'll get better. You know, I'll be sick for a day or two and I'll get better. I mean, I knock on wood as I say this, I can't remember getting the flu. I know I've had the flu, you know, um, at some point, but not in recent years. And I've probably just gotten lucky, you know, more, more than anything, I've probably just gotten lucky. But but if, if we can get this thing into that same you know, uh, area of the way people think about it, which is, uh, you know, if I get the flu, I get the flu, I'll stay home from work, I'll medicate myself, and I'll fight through it, and then I'll be, you know, well a, a few days later. And, you know, if there are meds, great. And if there's a vaccine, even better. 
You know, but I will tell you this. You know this about me. I've never gotten a flu shot before. I'm going to start getting a flu shot. Right. I I, I agree with you. And, you know, here's what's going to – one of the things, one of the many things that are going to change, at least initially, it may wear off after years, is uh, the impact of other people if you get sick. The impact to other people. That's part of the flu vaccine sales. Right. Is, you know, don't get other people sick just because you can tolerate the flu. You know, uh, I mean, don't get the don't don't get the old uh, cashier at Safeway sick with the flu just because you can deal with it. I think people are going to start thinking in terms of their fellow man a little bit more when it comes to these kind of diseases, at least for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I've told the story with you before about how, you know, I, and I've, it's sort of been a badge of honor that I, I just, I don't really miss, and I just never have as an adult, I've never really missed days for work. I mean, there have been a couple of days here and there. I remember the last time I, I legitimately missed a day for being sick. I had strep throat and a, and a fever. And, you know, and I didn't go in and I, somebody covered for me or maybe it was, it was when I was doing the show with you. I can't remember. And, and some people used to give me, um, a hard time because I talked about how, you know, I was definitely the father and my wife was definitely the mother where our kids didn't stay home with the sniffles. You know, if you had the sniffles, you went to school, you know, you're going to have to go to work. So you're going, you were going to school. Like you had to be legitimately sick to stay home. You know, dad, mom, I've got a headache or I have to, you know, I've got a cold, get up and get to school. Well, you know, it's, it's not, it's not that easy anymore after going through something like this. You really do. No. And I probably should have been more concerned about the other kids or going to work and not feeling great. There have been so many days, Tommy, and all of us. I'm not, this is not a, you know a martyr thing. Many of you have done the same thing. So many days when I would have much preferred to have just said, oh, my God, I do not feel well. I don't want to go to work. But I went up and... You know, I think sometimes, too, getting up and getting into a hot shower and moving your body and getting to work and having something important to focus on, you sort of don't let it, you know, get to the point where it's really debilitating. But And and a lot of people do that, and a lot of people don't have a choice. You know, they have to go to work. Um, But I I think all of this is going to change some of that. I do. I think people sort of understand, like, wow, germs really do pass that easily. And, you know, if I'm really feeling sick, it's it's easy for me to give it to somebody else. And that's not very nice. And that's not very responsible. And yeah, a lot, a lot of, Uh, and at least, at least initially there will be that. And maybe it'll last. Hopefully it'll last. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Handshakes disappear. Yeah. For the, it's it's certainly in the short term. You know? I, I think for I think forever, pretty much. That's weird, man. You know, handshakes. I like shaking hands too. I I mean, of course, I love shaking hands. I mean, to me, <laughs> you you to me, I I'll be honest with you. I think it's sometimes revealing of you know something about somebody. The way they shake your hand, the way they you know they look you in the eye with a firm grip. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I was taught, and you know, and that's that that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, I, I think when somebody doesn't look you in the eye when they shake your hand or they throw out a dead fish, don't you sort of think differently about that person? 
Well, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, And it's always interesting because I've told you this before, that the, the weakest handshake you get are from boxers. I know because their hands are so valuable, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and plus because their hands are usually sore right. from 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 working out. They don't get a, but, they uh, don't give out Dexter Manley handshakes. That's for sure. No, 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 they don't. But uh, I think I, I mean uh, moving forward, my inclination is, is not to shake hands. Yeah, I mean I'm walking around, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week now with my bag, and and, and I'll rattle it here, and you, it's a bag full. Of you know baby wipes, you know drenched in rubbing alcohol. This is what my wife has been doing and supplying for all of us, and it's in a plastic bag. And I use it like when I walk into this studio, I have it in my hand so that I use it on every door handle, you know, so I don't touch any door handles. And I come in and then I wipe everything down before I get started. I actually I I ask that they don't have the person come in to pick up the trash at night, but they've been doing it anyway. I've got to get that message out. I can empty my own trash. I don't need them to come in and vacuum and empty the trash. I don't want anybody in this studio. I want to I want to be able to walk into the studio knowing that nobody's been here, you know. And yeah, a lot of these things are going to change. I mean. At least in the short term. And then all of a sudden there, there yeah. will be a vaccine for this and a treatment for this. And, you know, no one will get sick for six months or seven months or a year or whatever. And then I think, you know, it could easily go back to the way it was. But I think in the short to midterm, there are going to be a lot of changes. I mean, we've talked about some of them. I mean, look at all the businesses. There are going to be a lot of restaurants that never come back. A lot of businesses that never, never come back. You know, which will change yeah, sort know. of the landscape of of communities in many ways. You know, yes. um, it's weird. Yeah, yes, yes, it will. How has life been in the scene compound? Um, I'm getting accused of being, um, you know, not not really involved as much because I get home and I'm in my office or I go to my room. I don't want to be around everybody. You know, I, I mean. Now, with my sons, I've told you, you know, we've got seven people in the house. We have I've, right. my wife, me, my three boys, and two of my sons have their girlfriends at our house. One okay. flew in from L.A. three weeks, two and a half weeks ago, three weeks, two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago. Now, I, I've lost track of time. <laughs> and, you know, and she she's great. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that she's here. In many ways, actually, having them here means... That it's been probably a a more um, uh, a more chaos-free household because I think the three boys in particular would have been at each other's throats if they if they didn't have you know yeah but but yeah but I I, I don't want to be in you know I mean we go out almost every day and I walk the dog a lot uh, I walk the, you know right. we play basketball in the backyard we've been playing horse a lot I know we're going to get to that here. Um, but we've been playing a lot of basketball in the backyard, throwing the football around a lot in the backyard. My boys and I, um, you know, we've had the grill going and, you know, we've got a fire, sort of a, a, a you know, a, a standalone fire pit. So we've had a couple of nights where we've, you know, lit a, we put a fire out there, had the grill going with steaks or burgers or whatever and been playing basketball. But like when I get home today, 
I don't want to. St- I mean, I got nothing to say. <laughs> I just did. I just did a radio show and I did a podcast. It's you know, it's it's not digging ditches. I understand that, but I, as you know, you have a lot of preparation for the following day to get ready for, you know, a three-hour radio show hosted by yourself, as I've been doing for a while now. And there's a lot, of, a lot more preparation um, involved. And you know, I don't. I, I, it's not like I have the rest of the house. Like they're in, you know, the family rooms. Some of them are in the family room. Some of them are downstairs. Everybody's watching TV or taking the dog for a while. I, mean, I don't need to be involved every second of the day trying to entertain anybody. This is the big difference between a parent and a set of parents with older kids and a set of parents with younger kids. I mean, there are a lot of young kids. They're, 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 they're neighbors across the street, younger couple. They're in their, I don't know, early 30s, mid 30s, and they've got four kids under the age of five, you know, and I watch them and they're out riding bikes and they're, and they've got to entertain them all day long. I mean, that's exhausting. Exhausting. Um, for me, the only exhausting portion of my day is talking to you. Uh, (laughs) after that, I'm good. But you see the lesson that you were supposed to be learning here is that it's not just about you. And if people in your household feel that you're not being part of it. Yeah. You've got to recognize that. No, but but not being a part of it is keeping myself healthy and per- and I'm the one going out. You know, they they've actually been very responsible. Now there have been a couple of trips to a supermarket here or there or a curbside restaurant pickup. All right. And I, I, you know, but my my wife and I are still working. We're the ones that are actually, you know, potentially bringing the risk back in the home. Now, I'm not taking much of a risk. You know my situation here. I'm a mile from here. I get in my car. I've got my my you know rubbing alcohol baby wipes in my hand. I don't see anybody here. I come into the studio. I do, you know, I do the radio show, I do the podcast and then I'm gone. Although I've been hanging out here a little bit uh, longer here in recent days because it's just better to be here than what it is at home. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, I, and my wife's like, you know, are you just going to be in the office all day or upstairs all day? And I'm like, well, what what is it that you want me to do? I mean, we we, we clean, we do the we're 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 doing our we're doing the our own cleaning of the house. You know, we did have somebody that would come in and you know do clean the house. We're doing that now. You know, I definitely participate in all of that. Uh, you know, that's sort of the way I am anyway. You know, I I hate I hate a dirty house. I we're my wife and I are the same. We're we we both sort of are OCD when it comes to or being organized and and having everything clean, but you know, at, am I supposed to entertain my boys? <laughs> you know, no, they're all no, older. you're not. But but your boys are not asking the question. Your wife, it's is. my wife. Let me ask you. Yeah. Okay. Have you played any games of Scrabble? No, we have not. There hasn't well, been one board well, game played. Well, I I I'd suggest maybe you you, you mentioned to your wife. Let's play a game of Scrabble. So we're all touching all the little Scrabble pieces, and we're within that, that six have, feet of each other. That have been in a box. That have been a box in a box for we have for probably decades. We have a lot of you know. There's a there's a closet somewhere, and I'm trying to remember where it is because I've seen them. But we have board games in the house. You know, well, Monopoly's I, I in the house. Scrabble, I yeah, guarantee I think, you, is in the house. I think it would go a long way. Trivial uh, pursuit as a, gest- as a gesture. Uh, if if you brought that out and you suggested to her that uh, you play, 
I think it would go. I think it, in terms of of banking some goodwill. Yeah. I think it would go a long way. I, I think it would buy you a week of isolation. I think it's a really good. I think it's a good idea because you know the answer is going to be nah, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the answer. Oh, that's a great idea. Great idea. Um, but we, we let's not do it now. Let's do it later. All right, let's do it later. We'll do, we'll do it later. Just was thinking about something we could do as a group. <laughs> there you go. Um, we've been, but they, they love that. They love that stuff. We've been playing a lot of horse in the backyard. Um, Your wife playing horse? No, 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 no. Um, okay. my boys and I, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not, are not, you ready for, are, 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 how's your horse game? Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's one thing your boy can do a little bit. Your boy can shoot it. Oh, I'm sure you can. Yeah. So, sure and I, can. and I can create a lot of, you know, but my, my youngest son can really shoot it too. So he, it's usually like three of us. So we'll be playing three. I, we haven't done a four, uh, game man horse game, but it usually comes down to my youngest against me at the very end with the, you know, we, I'll have like H-O and he'll have like H and then we'll battle it out for a while and he'll, he's prevailed more than I have. He's got, he's got ridiculous range. Um, he, he, oh, okay. Yeah, he can really, I mean, that's the one thing he could always do was, was shoot it too. But um, yeah, so you read the story because you brought it up and I, I actually talked about it on the radio show this morning that the... Um, that the NBA and ESPN are planning to televise a horse shooting competition. Guys like Chris Paul and Trey Young and Zach Levine are all going to be involved. Uh, WNBA players are going to be involved. The players are going to film competing at their own home locations on indoor or outdoor courts. And, you know, they're going to tape it, I guess. I I don't know exactly how it's going to work. I can tell you this. I have zero interest in this. Zero. Really? It's just like an NBA game. It's the same thing. <laughs> so that was your angle all along? This is why you wanted to talk about it? Oh, it's no different than an NBA game? No, <clears throat> it's not much different than an NBA game. My question to you is, do you think you could compete? Oh, in a horse ga- in a horse competition? Yeah. Right now? No, but that's yeah. but that's because I haven't been playing. You know, I, I up until like a year ago, I was still playing two to three days a week. So right. I would have told you a year ago, oh yeah, in a horse competition, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, I, could, I I would be able to hang in there. I wouldn't beat, you know, I wouldn't beat the best of the best. But if I got some dude that couldn't shoot it, that was more of a defensive specialist, you know, and was a sixty three percent or fifty eight percent free throw shooter. I would just go to the line and crush him. Um, but no, I, I don't have any interest in in watching this. But I'll I'll tell you what it did bring up and why I brought it up on the show this morning. I am just old enough, and you are old enough, to remember at halftime of NBA games on CBS back in the 1970s the horse competition between two star players. And if you go, oh, yeah. to, if you go to YouTube. You can find all of those. There's a Pete Maravich versus George Gervin. There's an, uh, a Kevin Grevy against Jojo White. Bob McAdoo against Pete Maravich. And that was like a big deal. I, I, I remember Paul Westfall was a really good horse player. I remember watching those things and always hoping that one of the bullets would, you know, would be involved in it. And I think Elvin Hayes did it one year, and then Kevin Grevy was a, a horse competitor. 
But th- those are like five to six, you know, five minute edited segments for halftime of NBA games. Do you remember that? Uh, oh, absolutely, I remember those. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, what? Look, uh, everyone is in, is in dire fear. At least sports fans are of a world of uh, post NFL draft because there's really nothing once the NFL draft comes and goes no. to really talk about at that point. And, I, I, look, I think there'll be people that'll watch NBA horse. I won't because, like I said, it's too much like an NBA game. But uh, could you create something similar with the NFL? Like having, uh, having quarterbacks uh, at their home field where they're working out or at their wherever – uh, do some kind of pass-catching drill in competition with other quarterbacks from their site and broadcast it. It wouldn't be for me. I wouldn't watch it. But people would. People watch the Combine, Kevin. Yeah, that's different, though, because you're looking at you know future stars in the NFL and you're trying to do your own evaluation and play GM and the whole thing and – you know, be the guy that knows the most about the upcoming draft. If, if, if Dwayne Haskins isn't up against Drew Brees in uh, a best of, of 10 pass catching competition or, or some kind of manufactured competition, you're not going to watch it? Nah, I wouldn't be interested. I bet you would. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be interested at all. I mean, I think one of the things, I, I think we talked about this the other day, one of the things that I think I've learned here. I would have guessed this anyway, because um, I think I was sort of heading in that direction anyway. But I don't need sports right now. I need it for my profession. Don't get me wrong. I'd much rather be talking about, you know, games. And this is the time of the year where you can really get into the caps and the NHL playoffs. And, you know, it's fun to talk about those games, you know, uh, the, the morning after, the day after. But no, I I would much rather sit down and watch a movie or, or watch a show or watch the news or watch much rather than okay. watch some bullshit, you, you know, skills competition, you know, like the 1970s superstars. What? Do you think a segment of the population would watch it? I don't know. I'm sure. I think they would. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think it's a big segment. Smart, I think if the NFL was smart, they, they would manufacture some kind of version of horse for themselves to broadcast after the draft. Yeah. I, first of all, horse is easier to do. I mean, because this is what they do. They shoot the ball at, as you say, they just shoot it. They're just shooting it. But they shoot a ball into it. I mean, now you're talking about Dwayne Haskins trying to throw it through some big board with a with a hole in it or something. You know, I, I don't I I don't think either one of them is going to generate much of an audience personally. I would be, you know, I'd be curious, and I don't know the answer to this. How many people are are watching these older games on TV? I did watch the Thrill in Manila the other night. That was on. I watched rounds eleven through fifteen. What what a great fight that was! What a spectacular fight! Yeah, I, I watched the whole documentary about it uh, last week. I've seen that so documentary. I, I That's excellent. Well. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. You know, uh, listen. Uh, you know what I'm watching right now? I taped it, and I'm in the middle of watching it. Game seven of the 1968 World Series between the Tigers and, and the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, with just watching Bob Gibson on the mound, it, 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 it's just great. I mean, you know, it, it's just great to watch. Uh, 
And, you know, the other night uh, they showed the Cal Ripken 2,131 yep. record-setting game, and I think a lot of people watch, wound up watching that, including Cal, who had just joined social media right. that, that day. Uh, and I enjoy watching that. So I'm, I'm a big fan of watching old-time games. So I'm an, I've, I've, I've been taping and, and, and watching uh, games like that. A lot of football live. You know, a football life uh, episode. I've been watching a lot of those. I watch the. I, I I enjoy those. I told you I watched the Paul Brown one the other day, and then the Al Davis one afterwards, which was excellent as well. But back yeah, to back. So, I mean, I, back to the '68 World I, Series, real quickly, because yeah. I don't want to lose this thought. That's actually the one thing, other than a couple of the fights that have been on. I have actually watched some MLB Network old games, like last night. Um, they had on the 91 World Series Game 7 between Atlanta and Minnesota. They also had the Atlanta-Pittsburgh um, Game 7 from that year or the year before. Um, a, a couple of days ago they had, or maybe a week uh, or so ago, they had the playoff game in 78 between the Red Sox and the Yankees, the one, you know, the Bucky Dent game. The Bucky Dent game, um, yeah. And I actually really enjoy that. I think one of the reasons for that. Um, by the way, they had the uh, 79 World Series uh, between the Pirates and the Orioles on uh, the other night as well. I was watching some of that. Um, I find that – I'll tell you why I think I find that interesting. First of all, I remember a lot of that. Secondly, I love baseball postseason. But that's, for whatever reason, not the stuff that I have watched on YouTube over the years. Most of the YouTube games that I've watched have been football or basketball games primarily, not baseball games. So – some of these, like I'm seeing for the first time since I actually watched them. You know, that, that We Are Family Pittsburgh team in 1979 where they played, you know, uh, in the snow at, at Memorial Stadium. I remember that series so well. That was such an exciting World Series um, in, in 79 between the Orioles. And it's funny because I was never a big Orioles fan, but all my friends were. So I got caught up in 79 and in 83 a little bit with the Orioles, you know, halfway rooting for them, even though I, they re- I really wasn't passionate about the Orioles. But some of those games, they had the, the game one from the 88 World Series, the Dodgers, you know, A's, the Kirk Gibson walk-off uh, on the other night. Um, but they also tell great stories. There's usually a cast, you know, talking about these yeah. games, which is great too. Yeah, so, I mean, that can sustain me. For a long time, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, really, it really can. Uh, but I think there's a segment of the population that uh, wants to see their 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 current stars in any way. I think there's a segment of the population that would watch Drew Brees at home under quarantine. Well, that's different than watching him, you know, compete in two different locations in a passing skills thing against Dwayne Haskins. It's the same premise. No, but you're, you, you're, you're no, you're learning something about the person and his family and his situation. It's a reality I, thing. I, I don't yeah, know. But, but I mean, I, I just think there's people that just there's a, fa- a segment of the fan base that are starved for anything to do with these players and will watch them under any conditions as opposed to nothing to watch. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I right now, like if I don't get live sports right now, I'd li- I'd much rather have live sports than not have live sports for multiple reasons, including giving us a lot more to talk about, you know, the day after. But um, I don't know. I mean, I've been listening to some podcasts. Um, I think I told you this because um, you and I are huge Office fans that Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey do this office rewatch podcast. Did I tell you about this or not? I don't think so. It's actually really good. And I'm, I've been listening to it um, here and there over the last month, but over the last couple of weeks in particular, when I'll, I'll either listen to music or I'll listen to that podcast. It's, it's really good. The two of them basically do episode by episode, Tommy, a rewatch podcast that, you know, each of them are about an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 15 minutes in length. And they give you the whole background of the episode and how it was shot and where it was shot and different things that happened. And, and I mean, I actually think you, you, you would like it. Um, and so I've been, I've been listening to that a little bit. I've been watching, you know, over the weekend, I think I told you the other day, you know, that I watched 1917. I really liked that. Did I tell you that or not? No, you didn't. And I haven't seen it yet. Really liked 1917. Um, really, uh, enjoyed the scheme. I don't know if I told you about that or not the other day. Maybe I didn't, um, the scheme on HBO, the documentary, uh, about right. Christian Dawkins and in the recent basketball scandal, my, my God, you'll, I, you don't have to love college basketball to, to like this documentary. It was well done, but the, the, the biggest takeaway is just how much the FBI chickened out. They could have easily roasted Sean Miller, Will Wade, and Rick Pitino, and they didn't. And Instead, they put this guy Christian Dawkins into prison um, for a year. Um, but um, And my next thing, you know, I'm going to catch up on Ozark. You know, everybody loves season three, so I'm going to get caught up on that. But I don't need live sports right now other than professionally. I'm not missing NBA regular season. I'm not missing Major League Baseball early in the year. You know, I'm I'm following the draft and NFL free agency, which I would be doing anyway because it still exists. You know, the NHL yeah. playoffs would have started last night. Uh, I do enjoy that, and I definitely enjoy the NBA playoffs. So, and I and it, and it sucks that we didn't have March Madness, but ultimately, of course, I'm pissed off that we didn't get to see Maryland and see a tournament. But I don't know. The NFL would be the one. The NFL would be devastating. You know, you get me to September, and there's no football to look forward to each week on Saturday and Sunday, and that'll be a massive game changer. That'll be depressing. I, I, but I tell you what, I think you'll have a, a smaller segment of the population that would would be hit hard than if it was going on now. I think by then, people would have settled into a lifestyle. Yeah, not but everybody. You might, be. but some people. Would would have learned to live without a lot of things that they they've, they've lived with, and it just would be for some people it would just be one more thing that they could live without. If it was happening now, it would be much harder, much harder. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And what you you know you've brought up, and again for whatever reason I thought we talked about this on Tuesday, but it sounds like we didn't. Um, people, this is a risk to sports right now. Don't kid yourself. People are learning that they can live without them. They're also discovering what a time suck they are. 
You know, and I'm talking about the real hardcore sports fan that sits there every night and watches, you know, NBA games on 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 NBA TV and and the NBA package and NHL games on the NHL package and all of a sudden they're realizing, my God, I spend a lot of time watching sports and I've missed out on some of these other things. These are my family. I actually like them. You know, I actually <laughs> like doing certain things that I didn't, you know, that I that I wouldn't have been doing yeah. this time of year. Yeah. But I think if it had started for football season, you're right, it would have been, oh, my God, we would have been. Oh. The pressure, Tommy, you know, haven't discussed this. The pressure for football to come back. If this thing had happened in early September, let's say after week one, and they shut down the league, you know, second weekend in September, the pressure to get football back and playing, even if it's in front of empty crowds, would be much greater than the pressure right now on baseball, hockey, and the NBA, and golf majors, and the tournament, etc. I agree. I agree, a hundred percent. Do you think? Do you think that the NFL would be trying to figure out, hey, we got to play our games, man? This is important for the country. I think the president would be hammering them on it. So, yeah. And since uh, a lot of these owners are are uh, allies of his, yeah, I think the owners would be pressuring Goodell to uh, come up with a way to way to get the product on back on the field somehow. Well, let me th- uh, then. But, then... but here is the other thing, you know. I mean, a lot of this is out of their hands. Local go- local government officials, I understand, are making these decisions. Well, they are. That's true. But if you you know. If you don't have any, well, would, it, I guess it would be based on whether or not the NFL workers would be considered essential, you know, in some of these places. But you could find yeah. a place where you could play these games. I, I think it's actually interesting to consider um, what we just laid out, that if this had happened in early September and you had played week one and then all of a sudden week two was canceled and then all of a sudden the NFL postponed indefinitely the pressure to play these games and whether or not we would be on the verge of playing NFL games right now after a month of this versus where we are with baseball and hockey and the NBA. If there would have been such overwhelming pressure for the nation's you know, uh, mental well-being, we need the NFL back on on Sundays. You know, in college football would be more difficult, you know, in some, uh, maybe, maybe it would be, maybe it wouldn't be, I don't know. But the NFL is king. Would we be on the verge of seeing the NFL resume its season after four weeks of this? I think it'd be much more of a political fight than what we're dealing with now. Ultimately, I don't think they'd be able to. I just don't think they'd be able to do it. And to be honest with you, I think this, this, uh, this mental well-being thing is a little bit overblown and exaggerated. You know, I mean, bucket, uh, look, it's easy for me to say. I don't have the same. I'm not talking about economic hardships that people are going through. Let me make that clear. Yeah, I know. I mean, there are We're families that are going through. Yeah. Right. Talking about the sports, you know, grow up, everybody. Tough it out. You know what your grandparents went through? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and because you're sitting at home and the things you like to watch on TV, you don't have all of them. It's some kind of burden. I mean, I'm a little bit sick of that narrative well, for the I, mental well-being of the country. It, I mean, the only mental well-being I'm concerned about is people's lives and, and, and economic lives as well. No, 
I know what you're saying. And look, World War II, all these sports were canceled, but sports weren't as important. The sports that were important, like boxing and horse racing, I think boxing continued through the war, right? There were still big fights. Yes, no, yes, it did. But but yes, the reason you didn't have well, you other the reason you didn't have you other professional sports important? is you didn't have the players. They were fighting. I'm sorry, go ahead. What else was important? What else was important was gasoline and yeah. rubber yeah. and food. Right. And, and munitions. And, and, and that was that was rationed out. Yeah. You know, that wasn't available to, to everybody. And having blackouts to, uh, in case you were being bombed. Right. And 10 years earlier, red lines, you know? There, uh, because there wasn't enough food for everybody to eat. I mean, it's not Talk the best. economic lives. It's not the best comparison because sports wasn't in 1942, 43, 44, and 45 the, the part of the economic engine that it is today. You know, it just didn't. I, I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. But I'm just talking about this idea of how can we survive without watching sports mentality? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm just kind of, I mean, I think it's overblown. I think, I think, I think we've become soft. And I'm the last guy to say that. Well, I think what you're saying is is the point I made earlier, and, and that is that people are starting to realize and they're learning that they don't need it as much as they, they thought they did. You know, I, the complaints, you know, the, the, there are people that are complaining and there are people that are saying that, you know, I need it. And I look, you know, I really feel for the people who are alone right now. Like that is yeah. the people that live alone and can't go to work or have been laid off and and are lonely, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine how awful that is. You know, like many times I've joked over the years, and friends of mine and I will joke about, you know, my next move is to, is to a one-bedroom efficiency, you know, with a couch <laughs> and a refrigerator and, and a couple of big screens. But really, you know, ultimately we all are, you know, I, I don't know, I need, I need to be around people. As much as I'm fine being alone for a period of time, and I do, do well being alone for a period of time, it can't be that long, you know. Um, but, you know, back to the other thing, yeah, it's, um, I understand what you're saying, obviously. You know, it be, not having the NFL w- would be a mental drain for a lot of people, and it would be a drag, and it would be, it would be, uh, you know, it's because it's been hab- It's a habit. Like the NFL is so much different than the other sports. There is a habit around the NFL. There's an addiction to the schedule of the NFL season, the rhythm of the NFL season. So you'd really be shaking your own sort of internal world with no NFL if you're a football fan, like most of you that are listening, and I am, and Tommy is. Um, but yeah, I mean, there obviously there are more important things than sports. A lot more important. Yeah. Listen, I think it's more of a dependency than an addiction. But uh, that, that, that still doesn't diminish uh, how there be a withdrawal level uh, w- without it, particularly if it wasn't going on now, if this had happened in the middle of the NFL season now. Listen, I just wanted something popped in my head, and I wanted to keep it there. You were talking about movies. You watched 1917. I wanted to bounce this off of you because this is movie heresy. Uh, have you seen, you've seen No Country for Old Men? Yeah, loved it. Loved the book, too. Okay. Uh, the first time I watched it, and I, I, listen, I love the Cone Brothers. I love the Cone Brothers. 
One of my favorite movies of all time is Miller's Crossing. Uh, the first time I watched No, no Country for Old Men, I think, eh, I'm not that impressed. I didn't think it was that good. You just watched it for the it, first time? No, no, I watched it when it first came out. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so I watched it again recently. Yeah. Thinking, well, I'm going to give this another chance. Same reaction. I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I tell you what, there will oh, be it's, blood. It's dark. What's a, what's a, there will be blood was a much better movie. Oh, I love there will be blood. And should have won the Academy Award that year instead of No Country for Old Men. I just think it. I just think well, I mean, for me, it just, just didn't, didn't do it. Well, I I liked No Country for Old Men. I've probably seen it a half dozen times now, and every you know if it's on or whatever, I'll, I'll watch it. Um, it is really dark. It's you know the the whole thing. The book Cormac McCarthy wrote that book. Um, uh, and also, you know, Cormac McCarthy's written some of the best books ever, and I'm not a big writer, right. you know, anymore. Um, but Blood Meridian is one of the greatest books of all time. And anyway, the Coen brothers, you know, took that and turned it into a movie. And, and what was it? Was Javier Bardem, right? Yeah, and they won the Oscar. It was best picture. Yeah, that year. I thought it was really good. There will be blood. It's funny. I think there's a real. Um, sort of split on that. I know a lot of people. I remember when it came out, and I and I loved it. And I thought it was excellent. And Daniel Day Lewis is phenomenal in everything. But I remember yeah. a lot. A lot of people did not like the movie. Thought it was really slow. I think that movie's excellent. Oh, I just watched it recently I, I, with one of my boys. Not this was before pandemic. I watched it with Corbin. I think uh, we sat down and watched it. He hadn't seen it. I love that movie. So good. So after after the movie. Did, did, did Corbin walk around the house saying, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. He loved it. He loved it, too. Um, that, that's a brilliant movie. So anyway, so you brought this up just to say no country old men, for old men. You still don't like it. You watched it again, and you still don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, and okay. I know that, that that goes against the grain for most people. But, uh, oh, yeah. Have you ever seen Sicario, the first Sicario? No. It's pretty good. It, it, it's pretty good. I, I watched the sequel, though, the other night. I forget what it's called. Sicario Day of the... Uh, I don't know, whatever it's called. And this is also heresy. I like the sequel better than the original. But but two movies you should watch are the two Sicario movies uh, with uh, James Rowland. You definitely would like them. I've been told to, to watch Parasite, which won the Academy Award last year. Um, so that's on the list um, as well. Um, you did see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Yeah, and again, when I first saw it on TV, I wasn't that impressed with it. Mm. Now, I've watched it subsequently a couple of times, and I've enjoyed it more and more each time I watch it. That, that was, I think that was my prediction to you. I think we talked about this when it first yes. came out, and I saw it, and I loved it, and I said, but it may be one of those Tarantino movies um, that you know you have to watch a couple of times and it just grows on you. And by the time you get to the third or fourth time, it's brilliant. Um, yes, you know, yeah, that that has happened. Yeah, because to Absolutely. me, Inglorious Bastards, which is my, you know, it's either Inglorious Bastards or Pulp Fiction in terms of Tarantino movies, and I love Reservoir Dogs too. But um, Inglorious Bastards, I did not like the first time I saw it. I was like, really? And then I watched it again. I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And now I've probably seen it 40 times. <laughs> and it's just, it's so good. It's so good. I know we've had the, the Tarantino conversation before, but 
Um, you, I think it's you that's always told me that you loved both of the Kill Bills, and I didn't at all. Well, I like Kill Bill volume. Kill Bill 2. Okay. Kill Bill 1 what didn't do much for me. And you love Jackie Brown, two. too, right? Jackie Brown's my favorite Tarantino That's right. Movie. That's right. The, I, no. it, it's the one based on an Elmore Leonard novel. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, and it, it, it's a, got a little bit of compassion and in it, and most Tarantino movies don't have any of that. But uh, but I like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot more now. So good. And I probably watch it again. Uh, I, I well, I have not. I, I, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be on, on on the list soon enough after I go through the things I haven't seen. But I think I I said to you after I watched it and you hadn't seen it yet that you were gonna love the late, you know, the the late '60s L.A. Hollywood. You know, the way he just nailed what it was like, you know, all the way down to, like, the music that was playing on the car radio when they were driving around. Like, they, yeah. he, he just, he gets all the detail right in that stuff. Actually, I downloaded on my playlist three songs from that soundtrack that I had forgotten about. What's on that soundtrack? I'm forgetting now. Well, uh, Mitch Ryder, uh, Mitch Ryder is C.C. Uh, Ryder. Yeah. Uh, the song CC Rider. Right. Uh, and Neil, and there's uh, uh, Paul Rivera and Raiders. Uh, I think Good Thing is on that uh, is on there, and I downloaded that. And uh, Neil Diamond, Brother Love, Salvation Traveling Show. Right. I downloaded that as well. Hmm. All right. I can't. I, for whatever reason, the soundtrack of that movie isn't. Nothing's jumping out to me. You know. Um, but whatever. Uh, all right. You want to talk some sports here for a few minutes? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's try it. Um, you haven't had a chance to weigh in on the uh, Ron Rivera press conference from the other day. I sort of went through it blow by blow yesterday. So where do you want to start? What, 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 to you, what was the biggest takeaway from that press conference? Well, I think the biggest takeaway is uh, his philosophy on the draft. I mean, to me, that that was that was that was the biggest takeaway. And what it, what and, did you uh, learn? What did you learn? Because that was a long, you know, some of his sound bites are are Bill Callahan esque, you know. <laughs> um, but what what did I don't I I, I think that they're not inclined to uh, to uh, trade away that pick. Right, I agree. I mean, that that's what I think I learned from it. Uh, I think they're not inclined to trade that pick. Yeah, I think what you learned is that he is, you know, I think the the line in that particular soundbite was when um, he said, hold on, I'm going to find it here in a second. Uh, um, you know, if you do trade back, quote, did you really get value or did you just get a whole bunch of picks? You yeah. Know, close quote, which is to say, you know, he had said it earlier in the soundbite, when you're in the first five spots, those are immediate impact guys. You know, so I agree with him too. I mean, if you are absolutely convinced that Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons or, you know, but I think it's going to be Chase Young, is going to be one of the best pass rushers in the league for the next decade, I don't care. I, mean, I, I said the other day that I would consider three first rounders in a second. I don't think anybody's going to give that up, but I just don't want them to pass on Chase Young. I don't want them to pass on that. I think he's as much of a sure thing at a key position on the field as I've seen as a football fan in a long time, and, and they're in position to take him. 
you know, it's very rare that you're in position to take a player of that caliber. I mean, I think if they got three firsts and a second, that that's a deal you make. Uh, I wouldn't. Said, I don't think I'd make the deal, but I'd consider that one. I I wouldn't consider anything less than that. But go ahead. And, that and said, depends what? on what the what what the three first round picks are, who's offering them, right? And and and, and where they are, right? Uh, that said, I agree with you. I think if Chase Young is is a generational game changing defensive player, uh, I think you jump at the opportunity to take him. Yeah. I, look. All you got to do is go back to last year's number two pick, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa was an absolute factor in every single game. He was a game wrecker, and he made everyone around him better. He turned that defense, which had some young talent on it, into you know arguably one of the better defenses we've seen in a long, long time in the NFL. If Chase Young is actually better, and people like Todd McShay say that he's even better than Nick Bosa – and you know the Redskins do have some young pieces, Payne, Allen, Ioannidis, Sweat, etc. You have to take Chase Young. Somebody said to me today on the radio show, they said, so <clears throat> what are you going to do? You're going to have a surplus of defensive linemen. You got to trade, you know, Allen or Payne. I'm like, no, you don't. These guys don't play every snap. If you've got a ro- rotate. Yeah, if you've got a rotation of pain and Allen and Ionitis and Sweat and Young, you know, five guys for four spots and a four three, you know, that's pretty damn good. That could be really impactful. You know, you're 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 gonna give guys and by the way, a lot of versatility in that defensive line. Allen can play end or inside. Uh Ionitis can play end or inside. I think we'll find out that Chase Young can play anywhere. You know, he could probably play safety and be dominant. Um, Deron Payne is the most athletic guy in the defensive front right now. I mean, Sweat is, but in terms of the interior uh, defensive guys. Um, so I wouldn't worry about a surplus at that position. I wouldn't. Oh, my God. I can't believe people would actually worry that that's some kind of a problem. They've, yeah, they haven't had a surplus in years Yeah. Um, on anything. Um, what else? What about the... Uh, what about the Kyle Allen uh, discussion? Uh, I think it opens the possibility that if there is a very short window of preparation for the season, Kyle Allen could be the quarterback. Yeah. I don't know. My, my big two takeaways were, number one, three of them. Number one, what yours was, which is they're going to take Chase Young at number two. They're not going to trade down. Um, secondly, that Haskins is going to be the starter, barring the absolute unforeseen. And by the way, the unforeseen is much more possible these days than it ever was. And then the third takeaway was just how much he is trying to reshape a culture as much as he's reshaping you know, a roster and a coaching staff, et cetera. And a lot of what he talked about was you know, culture-related, whether it was his discussion about Thomas Davis or his discussion about John Bostick or his uh, conversation about you know, uh, how he handled the Dunbar thing and the Nicholson thing. You know, um, he doesn't want nonsense right now. He wants guys that he knows will sort of, you know, uh, react and promote from the book of Ron Rivera. You know, he, he realizes, I think he realizes this place is a total toxic shit show. Now, the other thing that he said that I'm surprised you didn't mention already was what he said about Dan Snyder when he said, quote, I've probably talked with him daily 
daily to every other day. And really it's about what we're doing, what we're planning on doing, what's happening more so than anything else. I think the biggest thing is that he's really, uh, is that he, is that he's really asked, is really that he wants to be informed, more so than just turning it over and turning a blind eye. I think he did the laissez-faire thing where he was hands-off out of the way, so he just wants to know, and that's all that is. We talk through things. I've asked him for advice on certain things and certain issues. For the most part, he's letting us do our thing, um, and he's given us the tools that gives us the opportunity to do our jobs. What did you make of him sort of uh, saying that, you know, he's already done the thing where he's hands off and he's out of the way? Well, I think that's political bullshit is what it is. I mean, that's absolute political bullshit. And we know he didn't do that. He drafted your quarterback over the objections of the football people in the building. That's not laissez-faire. You know? Yeah. So uh, I, I think that that's political bullshit. I think he's he's like like Mike Shanahan did, maybe like like other smart, maybe the smart guys who have been in that building. I think he's trying to figure out the best way to handle Dan Snyder. Uh, and if that includes daily conversations, that's fine. You know, I, he owns the team. I understand why you would you would have conversations with the owner every day about what he thinks is his most valuable asset. But, I mean, we're in what? We're in January, February, March. We're in the, the fourth month of the Ron Rivera era. I, I would hope that he's letting Ron Rivera do his thing and not interfering at this point. You know, come to me in the second season, and let's see how it goes. Yeah, I, I mean... I think you know this, but I think your reaction would indicate that you don't think that right now. And that is that Dan Snyder was a different owner from 2010 to 2019 than he was from 2000 to 2009. He wasn't as involved as he was in those first you know, 10 years. Now, the problem is that he was involved enough to really do damage. You know, the relationship with Robert Griffin III being the number one involvement over the last 10 years of Dan Snyder that really damaged the franchise, damaged a young player. Um, and, you know, it took a, a few years to recover from that. And they really, you know, barely recovered from that for a brief period of time where they had a quarterback and they had an offense and they made a playoff run and they you know, nearly made a, a second playoff run. Um, he's been a different owner. Bruce Allen's been the guy running the day-to-day here for a while. That's been a disaster too, you know? But uh, I think that's really what Ron is referring to there. I think what he's saying is that Bruce Allen was running this organization and Dan was letting him run run the organization, and now he wants to hear straight from the sources, you know? Because Jay Gruden didn't report to Dan Snyder. He reported to Bruce. Right. You know, everybody in that organization reported to Bruce. But at the same time, you know, we heard, you know, we heard, by the way, and somebody pointed this out because I was talking about the culture change and and Rivera's, um, you know, referral to that. It's what Dan said when he announced, you know, in, in the Happy Thanksgiving, you know, introductory. He said, we, you know, we need a culture change. It was a shot at Bruce. Um. 
you know, not he, he takes himself sort of at it off the hook or tries to. I mean, none of us are going to let him uh, yeah. take himself I, off not, the hook. I'm not, I'm not giving him any any kudos for taking a shot at Bruce Allen. Right. It was almost gutless to do it then. Uh, yeah, it, it sort of was. Might as well have been more direct if you were going to do yeah. it. But um, I think – so what I was going to say about this was – I think Ron Rivera is playing it in a way in which John Keim described in a column that he wrote back in December, which was that the new coach was going to need to, you know, include Dan Snyder to a certain degree and almost make him feel like he's more involved than he really is and that that was important. You know, it's it's sort of pathetic that that's important, but but whatever. It's his team, and a lot of owners are, are, are super involved. Um, in that yes. – and that Rivera's recognized, and maybe Joe Gibbs told him this, look, be straight with Dan, communicate with Dan, let him know what's going on. He's going to give you everything you need to succeed. Don't leave him out in the dark, you know, like like Shanahan did to a certain degree, like Bruce maybe did. And maybe, you know, it was Dan's fault that Bruce was leaving him out because Bruce uh, Dan left Bruce in the job far too long. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's the, you know, keep your enemies, keep your friends close and your enemies closer kind of a thing. Not that he's viewing Dan as an enemy right now, but it's sort of, the, I think maybe he's playing it the right way for right now. But at the same I time, think he is. Yeah, at the same time, he better produce some results sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I, I think he is playing it well. Uh, I, I have ultimate faith that it will work right. at, at some point. But uh, I think he's playing it well right now. And let me point out the difference between Dan Snyder the first 10 years and Dan Snyder the second 10 years. And I know this from my years of watching Law and Order. <laughs> Kevin, there are different degrees of crimes. There's first degree crimes, there's second degree crimes, and there's third degree crimes. They're still crimes. It just depends on, on, on the level of criminality involved. So he was still committing the same crime. They just might have been third degree instead of first degree. And and don't you love, like, the part of the fan base that will tell you over and over again, he's just trying to win. He he loves this. So these these have been crimes of passion by Dan Snyder. (laughs) They've been crimes of passion. Um, by the way, I, I think that's been one of the biggest bullshit explanations or 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 sort of you know default answers on on the few people, the very few that don't d- despise Dan Snyder for what he's done to this organization. They'll say, "Look, he wants to win. He'll spend to win. The, you know, he he's just hired the wrong guys. He's had some bad luck. No, no, no. If he really wanted to win." He would have never fired Marty Schottenheimer. If he really wanted to win, he would have said to RG3, your coach is who you go to for these complaints, not me. If he really wanted to win, he wouldn't have walked into the draft room after they put together the board over a year and said, nah, we're taking the kid from Bullis. My son knows him. You know, that's just a, a, it's a bullshit answer. He doesn't want to win. Okay, I mean, ultimately, be really desperately, if all that mattered to him was winning, if he recognized years ago that winning would have been more valuable for him, would have produced more revenue for him than the months of March and April in the off season, you know, he would have he would have done the right things. He's never understood what 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 the right thing to do here is. 
I mean, he may, as a result of all the things that he enjoys doing, winning would be nice. And I'm not saying he's rooting against winning, but if he really was interested in winning, there are too many examples of things that he would have done that would have proved it. And he did otherwise. Absolutely. Um, But it's a new day, new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. All right. uh, Last question for you. I did this on radio today. Actually, two of them for you. The first one is this. And it's, I should have done this right after we were talking about watching old games on television. But that's what people have been doing. They've been watching a lot of old games on television recently. I, actually, I don't know how many people are doing that. I'm not doing it nearly as much as probably some are. What's the one sporting event or game, if you could go back and attend or watch it right now, and without knowing what the uh, outcome is going into it, going back and, and watching it again, what would you go back and watch again or, or attend again? Attend again that I've attended before. Attend or watch, but you you're going back to to experience it for the first time again. You're not going back knowing well, the results. You're going well, that back. Would be all, all, that would be Ollie Frazier one. Yeah, a lot the of people. Fight. A lot of a lot of people said that. Yeah, March eighth, nineteen seventy one. I watched it on closed circuit TV at Allentown Agricultural Hall in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, but uh, to have been in the garden. To have seen it, to have been part of that, I mean, that that would carry me for a lifetime. That feeling, knowing, I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of good fortune to have seen a lot of great things in my life. To have, but to have seen that, that would have been just, I, I, could, I, could, I could call on that moment years later if I had experienced that in person. I totally get it. I mean, it's often been described as the single most impactful and important and significant and exciting sporting event of the 20th century. You know, anybody that was there uh, in Madison Square Garden in March of 1971 for Ali Frazier won, they've always decided. It was, look, I don't remember it, um, but it was probably the most hyped, the most anticipated sporting event of, of the century, Right. At least the, the second half. Ironically, the first half of the 20th century was also probably a fight. Can I uh, get? Can I guess? Fight, is it? Is it Schmeling and Lewis? Yeah, the second fight yeah. in 1938. Right. Uh, the country is on the brink of World War II. Right. Uh, you know, Max Schmeling is, is Hitler's champion. Uh, Joe Lewis uh, uh, is is is, is uh, the real heavyweight champion at that point. And that's the other super fight of, of the century. Uh, uh, that, that's the only fight that I can think of that can compare it to Ali Fraser one. In terms of the political to overtones involved. Sure, sure. And Lewis won that fight right in a knockout in the first round. N- knocked him out, knocked him out, yeah. 138, something like that. I think that's what it was. I have, you know, you can buy the sound to the call for that fight on iTunes, so I have it on my iPhone. Oh, really? It doesn't last very long. And who called? Who, who who called it? Do you know? I don't. I don't know who it was. It's yeah. a great old raspy voice. Uh. And am I correct in saying that Max Schmeling was not um, a Nazi sympathizer? That he was. Uh, he there was some shame in sort of carrying, you know, the Nat the, the, the Nazi flag and the Nazi label in, into in, into that event or not? Am I wrong or, or not? No, you're right. You're right. Uh, Schmeling years later turned out to be, I mean, you know, was a, was a big supporter of Joe Lewis's and a close friend of his. 
and uh, what's not, I mean, what's a reluctant Nazi, uh, you know, symbol. He didn't want to be. Uh, and years later, became a millionaire with, uh, as a Coca-Cola distributor in Germany. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. The for me, it would be an event that I went to, and I would want to go back. And I've referenced this; I've I've, I've referred to this many, many times in the past. But <clears throat> there was nothing like the feeling of walking into RFK Stadium for the Cowboys Redskins nineteen eighty three championship game. I've never, I've never felt that. You know, there have been some games. You know, I've been to a Yankee playoff game that was really exciting back in the nineties. I've been in the Garden for a Knicks playoff game. Um, I've obviously been to many Maryland basketball games that were off the charts, electric atmospheres, you know, some of those games against Duke, um, in the two thousands. Uh, but that day in, in the, the NFC championship championship game in 83, it was just 45 minutes. We never went to the games early. My father was a you know, basically a get there right before kickoff and leave, you know, early guy. And it was my father, my brother, and I, and we went to that game, and we decided we were going to go down there early. We were in our seats 45 minutes before kickoff, and so was everybody else. I've never, ever been to a game where 45 minutes before the game kicked, it was completely full, and people were chanting, we want Dallas. It was unbelievable, the atmosphere that day, and obviously it turned out well, too. <clears throat> but I've never experienced anything like that at a live sporting event. Um, and, you know, people that, that aren't from here, and, you know, some of you listen that aren't from here or maybe think we're exaggerating, you, t- you, you ask Summerall, or ask, you can't ask Summerall anymore, ask Madden what RFK was like for a big game. He'll tell you it was his favorite place, that there was no feeling like that stadium for a big, you know, game in the 1980s. Um I would I would do that. The other one would be I would actually love to go back and have the feeling that I had when Maryland first made it to the Final Four in 2001. Tommy, they played Stanford in Anaheim in the Elite Eight, and Casey Jacobson was the star of Stanford. Maryland had never been to the Final Four, and I'll tell you, I think that's the most emotional as a sports fan of any of my teams that I've ever been. That was. Wow. It, 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 I, I had waited my entire life and been disappointed so many times, coming up just barely short. Maryland had never been to the Final Four, and when they beat Stanford and there was a countdown like of the final 20 seconds and Dixon had the ball in his hands, and I think it was Gus Johnson who was calling the play-by-play on CBS, that was emotional for a lot of Maryland fans, that they had finally made it to a Final Four. Um but yeah, Frazier Ali won. That 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 would have been a hell of a night. Yeah, yep, a- absolutely would have been a hell of a night. And one of the many stories out of that was James Taylor was supposed to play the Garden that yep. night. Yep, and uh, they had to basically negotiate a deal with him uh, that included uh, tickets to the fight because he wound up wanting to see the fight as well. He got five tickets, I think it was. Like Jack yeah. Jack Kent Cook was um, a big part of that that fight, right? In he promoting, put up it. the five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly for the fight. Um, all right, you got anything else? I got nothing else, boss. Uh, 
I mean, there were a couple of things that I mentioned today uh, that were sort of interesting. I mean, today would have been the first day of the Masters. You don't care about that. I had Steve Sands on the radio show today talking about that. Oh, I know what I wanted to mention to you. I actually thought this was really interesting. Wimbledon has been paying for an insurance policy against a pandemic for 17 years. They've been paying $2 million bucks a year. So they, I read that they're all in thirty-four million bucks for pandemic insurance, and they're going to get they're going to get paid out one hundred and forty-one million dollars. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Uh, apparently, the very, the British Open golf tournament, thinking. same thing. Uh, yeah, uh, although you know, I was I was reading Darren Ravel last night, and he he talked about how you know this force majeure, you know, basically these act of God events are going to, you know, uh, get some of these um, people off the hook. But, you know, bottom line is uh, the, this is missed massive revenue for some of these, you know, sporting events. And that that's why yeah. some of them will be rescheduled. But in the case of the British Open, golf, and Wimbledon, they had these insurance policies. They're canceled. They're not going to reschedule. They'll take the insurance payout instead. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're done. Nothing else. Uh, have a good weekend, Tommy. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Goodbye, buddy.